Not every couple would consider a winter hike through rugged terrain in a remote corner of a national park to be romantic. But Ryan Osman and Jessica McNeil aren't your average couple. And that is exactly how they decided to spend Valentine's Day. They've been hiking for five hours. They're at the bottom of a canyon, steep cliff walls rising on either side, and they're crossing the freezing waters of a raging stream. She fell face first. You know, I was able to put my hand under her chest and under her waist and then lift her up. He saved Jessica, but doomed himself. As I was lifting her up is when I could feel my, my right leg sinking pretty fast all the way down. And that's, it was pretty quick. It, it's my right leg sank past my thigh. He tries to pull it straight up. Then he tries spinning in the spot. All his efforts just make him sink deeper. Quicksand had never crossed my mind at all. But that's exactly what it is. A patch of quicksand in the middle of an icy river. Overhead, the gray sky grows darker. I'm Tora Kachur, and this is Tell Me What Happened. True stories of people helping people. An original podcast by OnStar. Every day when you wake up, you don't know if you will be a person who needs help or if you will be a person that helps someone else. It's important to remember that it's in all of us to be either one of those things every day. It's 7 a.m. and Zion National Park in Utah is gorgeous. There's two inches of fresh snow on the ground and the air is cold, but the sun is bright. I like to hike in the wintertime because you almost have the place to yourself most of the time. Ryan and Jessica park their car in the trailhead parking lot. They're alone in the wilderness and with big plans. I love hiking. I started hiking 10 years ago and it was just, it, it intrigued me to see these places that, you know, not a lot of people get to see in person. Today, they're going to take on something called the subway trail. I had always wanted to do the, the subway hike, but you have to have a permit in order to, to hike it. Getting it required being interviewed by a park ranger. Just because of it being more dangerous and n- nobody was out there. And I'd convinced them that, you know, I kind of knew what I was doing. I'd hiked the Grand Canyon before alone uh, in the wintertime. And so he ended up giving us the permit. They pull on their neoprene socks and lash their crampons to their backpacks. They've got food and water and a first aid kit. Jessica smiles at Ryan and says, happy Valentine's Day. They kiss and start walking. The sun was out. We were actually sweating because it wasn't as cold in the morning. They've got a simple plan. It should be five hours in and five hours out. That will get them back to their car before it gets dark. It's probably a half a mile descent down into the canyon. It's just, it's real, real slippery. That's when we put the crampons on. Crampons are metal spikes you attach to your boots. They're pretty standard for winter hiking. Down into the canyon they go. You can really only see white snow and water and the canyon walls. This is the kind of beauty few people ever see. It's magical. Exactly what Ryan and Jessica are looking for. 
They're crossing a stream of rushing water, stepping on ice-covered rocks when Jessica's foot slides off, and down she goes. She fell face first, and her hands and knees caught her. It's unpleasant, but nothing serious. But I was able to lift her up, and, and then she could walk enough through the water to get to the side. Then Ryan realizes he's in trouble. I could feel my right leg sinking pretty fast all the way down. And that's, it was pretty quick. My right leg sank past my thigh fast. He lifts his left foot, searching for solid ground, something to push off of, but there's nothing he can step on. I couldn't move my, my foot at all on my ankle because it was so tight down there. It was basically, it was like it was just dry concrete. Jessica wades back into the river. It's two feet deep, so above her knees. She braces herself, grabs Ryan's arm with both hands, and pulls. Nothing. She just put her hands down in the water and started, you know, moving, trying to move the sand away. I was trying to shovel it away, but it, it literally, it, the second you would shove it away, the sand would refill all the way back up to my very top of my thigh. The stream is quite literally ice cold. Only the fact that it's moving so rapidly keeps it from freezing. They dig at the river bottom with bare hands. Your skin touches the water and within 10 to 15 seconds, it's bright red. I couldn't feel my leg after five minutes. It was completely numb to the cold. For 30 minutes, they pull and dig until they're forced to accept an unbelievable truth. Ryan is trapped in quicksand. I was screwed. I didn't know. I didn't know how I was going to get out of there. They are miles away from having a signal on their phones. Hands numb, teeth chattering, lips turning blue. They reach a desperate conclusion. Jessica will have to hike back the way they came in search of people who can help. I knew it would be really difficult for her to hike back all the way by herself. She wasn't as an experienced hiker as I was. It was scary to ask her to go back all the way by herself. Jessica, standing in the river, gives Ryan a kiss. The second of the day, but very different than the first. Then she heads back down the trail, her crampons clinking on snow-covered rocks as she disappears around the bend in the canyon. Ryan waits. I had figured a minimum of five hours at least because that's how long it took both of us. I was giving her about six hours of estimation time to, before I would hear a helicopter. It's the middle of the afternoon, but the sun has already disappeared behind the high walls of the canyon. The valley is shrouded in twilight. All of Ryan's effort is focused on one crucial task, staying alive. He knows if he passes out from the cold, he could slip below the water and drown. It's a cold like he's never felt before. About 30 minutes after she left, it actually started pouring snow. That's when it, was, it got kind of scary. It was so cold already and the snow was really coming down. Hours pass. Twilight becomes darkness. Ryan's estimate of six hours expires. Still no helicopter, no hikers appearing on the trail. 
so I basically didn't think that she had made it and I figured that it would have been you know at least a full day before anyone found out that they couldn't reach me so I knew I, I didn't have that long This is Tell Me What Happened, a podcast created by OnStar to showcase how important a human connection is when you need help. Whether you're lost on a backcountry road or standing in a frozen river, thigh deep in quicksand. Standing in that icy river, his leg encased in the river bottom, and all the world around him pitch black darkness. Ryan is losing body heat and hope. But miles away, Tim Knaus, a veteran park ranger, is having a remarkably average day. But keep in mind, Tim's average day is still pretty unpredictable. Things kind of get thrown at you left and right. Um, Things come out of left field. Really strange calls can happen uh, at any moment, which is part of the reason I love it. Tim performs between 40 and 50 rescues a year. But even with 200 missions under his belt, he knew right away this one was different. We had a broken cell phone call uh, from the trailhead to our dispatch. She was saying about her boyfriend was stuck in quicksand somewhere in the subway route. The call was from Jessica. After hiking six hours, getting lost in the dark, then finding her way again, she finally got close enough to the trailhead to get a cell signal. Her teeth are chattering so much, she can hardly talk. But even in that jumbled message, one word stands out, quicksand. It's not something Tim or anyone at the park has to deal with very often. I've heard of quicksand quite a bit in Glen Canyon and some of the other areas in Southern Utah. If you do have quicksand in Zion, it's, it's generally about an ankle deep, so it's, it's hard to get stuck in. But the panic in the young woman's voice tells him this is serious. With the water being probably 40 degrees and the air temperature being, you know, 35 to 40, um, it's a perfect recipe for hypothermia. Before he can get any more details, the signal breaks up. Jessica's voice is gone. Now, Tim's got two people freezing in the wilderness, and he doesn't know where either of them are. My dispatcher, again, uh, spectacular dispatcher, she was able to ping the cell phone, which put that phone call being not too far from the road. The rangers form a two-prong rescue. Tim and two others are the first response team, going first, moving quickly. The second team will follow, bringing more equipment and support. Based on the GPS points of her phone, and we were able to locate her pretty quickly, I took her back into my vehicle and we put her in my vehicle in a warm area. But Jessica can't give specifics about where Ryan is. I mean, they were on a trail in a canyon crossing a river. That describes hundreds of spots in the park. Then she has an epiphany. She pulls out her phone and shows Tim the last photo she took. It's a beautiful scene, the sun glinting off the snow and a winding trail leading into a rugged canyon. It was just a few hours ago, but Jessica looks at it as if it was taken in a different lifetime. Tim recognizes the location immediately. He gears up and starts hiking. I knew that I had to go quickly in there. And um, I'm a you know, very strong, fast hiker. 
Um, so that's part of the reason I, I end up usually on the hasty team. I was moving pretty, pretty swiftly. The rapid response team is just three people, and one of them has to stay in the vehicle at the trailhead with Jessica. The second member, pushing hard in the darkness, slips on a rock while crossing the street. She twists her ankle. It's not bad, but it means she can't go on. But Tim decides to push on alone. An hour goes by, then two. Tim is moving steadily, quickly but safely, his crampons rattling on the rocks. All the while he knows that it's quite likely the person he's rushing to save is already dead. Ryan has spent 10 hours trapped in a frozen river. He has no feeling in his leg. A layer of ice covers all of his clothes. Stranded in the darkness, wondering how long he has left. I had seen what's, what seemed to be like a light pass over. And so I had pulled my head up. I could see that there was a, like, an actual light moving back and forth. And uh, that's when I started, I just started yelling for help. I saw him look up at me and I thought, man, this is, this is really good. He's conscious, he's alert, he's breathing. Ryan's first question is about his girlfriend, Jessica, the woman that hiked into the darkness in search of help. When he told me that she was okay, I was a lot more relieved. Tim sets up a flashlight, then wades into the river and starts digging the sand away from Ryan's leg. I had a dry suit. I didn't have any cold water hand protection, like neoprene gloves or anything like that. I would dig for about uh, half a minute to a minute um, before I would lose feeling in my hands. And then once I left, lost feeling in my hands, I couldn't really do anything um, because I couldn't tell what I was doing. So I'd bring my hands back out, we'd warm them up, then I would start digging again. But as before, when Jessica tried the same thing, every bit of sand he removes is immediately replaced. One person digging with bare hands is not going to work. He needs the second team. They have more people and more gear. For now, all he can do is try to keep Ryan alive. I said, you're gonna grab onto my shoulder. If you feel like you're gonna pass out, I'm gonna hold you above the water until we get more people up here to help out. He didn't seem to be, to be worried about anything at all, um, which made me feel a lot better just talking to him, just uh, being around him. The second team assembled and departed about an hour after Tim but thanks to a locator beacon that Tim carries, they now have exact information about where they are going. And when they arrive, they have to move quickly. There were two guys under my shoulders, and then Tim was behind me digging. We tried to just kind of give him shoulders and pull him up. There was a girl who had basically like a ratchet pulley system that she had strapped around a big boulder and then we had strapped it around my knee. Tim had said, it'll basically rip your leg off if we want it to. And I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't care what happens, you know, at this point, just, just keep going until it comes out. So she'd started ratcheting. Ryan feels his body pulled upwards, but his leg stays locked in place. I was screaming in pain, but I was able to, you know, tell her to keep going. The pulley system is cranked a second time. Ryan screams louder. The ranger on shore methodically cranks the ratchet. Tim turns his attention to removing Ryan's boot. We noticed it was moving millimeters at a time. I was able to slip both of my hands, uh, two fingers each, into the boot uh, toward the heel. 
and I just started wiggling and pulling up at the same time, and I felt it start to move. I felt my ankle pop up, and then I felt my whole leg kind of move, and my whole leg came out. I was just wiggling and pulling at the same time. We finally got it yanked out. It was a huge relief right at first, uh, for about the first 30 seconds. Ryan is free of the river, but not out of danger. Now we have a patient. Now we have to warm him up. Now we have to assess his foot and see if he's still got feeling in it. He did not have feeling in his foot. He did not have a pulse in his foot from what we could find. Ryan's wrapped in heating pads, put in a sleeping bag, and given an IV. In 15 minutes, his body temperature is back to normal. But his leg is still frozen. I had asked them not to to tell me anything about what my leg looked like because I didn't want to look at it. Just assuming being stuck for, you know, almost 11, 12 hours that it would be pretty destroyed. Meanwhile, the weather is getting worse. The snow is falling heavily, too heavy to bring in a helicopter. And it's too dark to try and carry Ryan out on a stretcher. The team decides the safest thing is to hunker down and spend the night where they are. I felt bad for them because it was snowing so bad. All they had was a sleeping bag and some tarps that they put over trees. And uh, we started a fire and I was so tired. I fell asleep within 10 to 15 minutes after everything was uh, set up. When Ryan wakes up, it's daylight. But what gives him hope is what he hears. It was pretty crazy to hear the helicopter. It was hard to believe that I had uh, made it that far. They've got a winch in the helicopter and they lowered uh, one responder down and they were able to just pick up Ryan and hoist him out. I still didn't know about my leg. I I still haven't looked at it or anything, but I, I did, I felt safe and I felt like everything would, you know, pretty much be okay. And it was. Ryan made it to the hospital in time to save his life and his leg. No less than five minutes after he arrived in a wheelchair, Jessica entered his room safe and sound after her grueling hike to raise the alarm the night before. I have no doubt in my mind if we didn't show up that night, he would not be alive. There's a saying in rescue and fire, risk a little for a little and a lot for a lot. And I knew that the the risk was very high to Ryan, so I I took a risk uh, and I, I think it worked out. You know, I was just, just really grateful that there's, you know, people out there that will put their life on the line to rescue yours. Quicksand isn't just a problem in Utah. In fact, I found a rescue expert in the UK, Faz Ali of the Bay Search and Rescue Unit. His team practically wrote the book on quicksand rescue. And I asked him to share his best story. The most interesting and the closest we've ever got to a near death was not actually a human, it was a cow. And we got called there quite late by the fire service. We got there in our tracked vehicles. It's got a cargo back on it and a large crane. The tide was coming in and we brought down the crane, backed it up to it, managed to get a harness underneath it while the tide was coming in and lapping around everyone's feet. The tide comes in very quickly where we live in Morgan Bay and we only just got it out in time. Its face was literally in the water as I lifted it up with the crane and we moved it out. 
and the cow survived. This show is produced by OnStar, and they're focused on keeping you safe. So before I wrap it up, I want to get a few safety tips from Faz, starting with how to get yourself out. In terms of how you do extract yourself from the quicksand, the best thing to do is get rid of any excess weight. If you've got a rucksack on, take your rucksack off because that's only going to add extra weight. If there's anything you can put under your bottom so you can sit down onto it to distribute your weight, because it's all about weight distribution. So if there's a, a plank or a log or anything that your companions can throw you or that you can reach, put that under yourself and distribute your weight because that's going to make you go down slower. Once you do get yourself into a comfortable position, you've got to make sure that you don't damage yourself. So you can actually damage your joints if you try getting too aggressive. If you get a very healthy person who thinks they're just going to pull themselves straight out of it, that's not going to happen. They need to make a, a gap. So if you get both hands around your knee, start with one leg, push it forwards, push it back and start rocking it backwards and forwards to make a bit of an air pocket and then start going left and right and start rolling your body a bit over to left, a bit over to the right. You'll eventually make enough room to get your leg out, hopefully. And once you've got one leg out and fully extracted, put it to the side and lie it flat so it doesn't start going down again. And then you can move over to your next one. Do you see any injuries that happen from people trying to extract themselves and if you do what are the most common injuries if you were going to injure yourself i'd imagine it would be most likely a dislocation it'd be for moving your legs too far some sort of sprain or dislocation but most people do wait for us though it's normally our own team members we're trying to calm down while they're trying to extract themselves because they just get a little bit over keen so now what are the best strategies to help someone out your friend gets stuck in quicksand they're sinking decently fast but they can't get themselves out and they're starting to move too quickly so what's your advice i'd certainly advise them to slow down i would if it looks like they're going to be stuck and especially if there's any incoming water i'd certainly advise you the emergency services in your country to ask for help and you can start on the extraction process i'm sure they won't mind turning up and i'm sure they'll be very happy if you've got yourself out before they get there i know we certainly would be i would look around to see if there's anything uh, a plank of wood anything flat, a log, anything that we can use, a surfboard if you're down at the beach, something nice and big that's going to distribute the weight well. Now, depending on what type of footwear you've got on, you might also be able to slip your foot out. People, when they go walking around the coastal areas, certainly in the UK, they normally wear Wellington boots. And if you've got a Wellington boot that goes into the quicksand, you can quite often just get your whole leg out because it's almost like a glove. Uh, you'll end up leaving a Wellington behind and you'll be walking on with one Wellington. But I'd rather be doing that than being sat stuck in the quicksand. Now, most areas where they have quicksand are generally marked, but what are the kinds of things that, besides by the time you look at it, by the time you walk on it, it starts to wiggle a little bit. What are other warning signs there might be quicksand nearby? It is quite difficult to spot, which is part of the reason why so many people end up on it. We look for areas of water, um, so at the, the river mouth, wherever there's water and you can see it tracking through, snaking through, if it looks damp, there's a good chance that that bit's going to have quicksand it. And also, people might not necessarily just be on foot as well. You get a lot of people going out on these motorbikes, quad bikes, all these all-terrain vehicles, and they get stuck as well. And the vehicles that they take out there to go and do that, the 4x4s, they get stuck as well. Wow. So, okay, if, what if you're driving and all of a sudden you hit quicksand, just keep going? If we ever drive into anything and we don't like the look of it, we reverse out very carefully. I think the problem you might find if you're in something such as a, a 4 by 4 type truck, you might find that you've already gone in too far to the point when you can get out and that's the point when you need recovery. Faz, I really appreciate your expertise on this. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. 
That's it for this episode of OnStar's Tell Me What Happened, true stories of people helping people. If you'd like to read more stories like this one, or if you want more information about how to identify quicksand and other wilderness dangers, there's a link in the show notes to take you to our website. Or you can go straight to OnStar.com and tell us your favorite story about a time that a stranger helped you. Let's share some love for people who help others in big ways and small. On behalf of OnStar, I'm Tora Couture. And please, be safe out there.